Well, happy summer, podcast friends. You're listening to the almost solstice edition of Booth One. <laughs> We're your site for the best in the art of lively conversation. Roscoe, are you feeling summery? Have you uh, I'm been to the uh, summery? Have you been to the tanning salon? <laughs> yes. Because I know you're getting ready for those sleeveless. <laughs> I'm getting ready for those days in my sleeveless t-shirts and, and the crop tops that you my, wear to my work. Crop tops, my short shirts. And my sandals. Today we're on location once again from the famous Steppenwolf Theater right here in Chicago. They've been doing some massive remodeling of their ancillary spaces. And we're sitting in the brand new 80-seat, 1700-theater, which is a fantastic little space. It's right behind a brand new bar and coffee palace, I guess, called uh, the Front Bar. They're going to be doing multi-genre performances in this space. Tell them what it looks like a little bit, Roscoe. What's it look like here? Well, in this it seats 80? about 80 people. We sit at nice little round tables. It's an intimate space, and they're going to do musicals, two-handers. Right now, what just opened is the play Voice Lessons with Laurie Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf, ensemble Laurie Metcalf, member here. Yes. Long-time she, ensemble member. I, I saw it in Steppenwolf shows 35 years ago, and she's still here at Steppenwolf. It's a beautiful space. It's like a, a, a you you describe it as sort of a cabaret type yeah, a cabaret space. Room. Yeah, with it'll round be, tables. It'll, it'll be mobbed, and it just opened this week. We're here at the at the smash beginning of this new venture. And last week we were at the bar, which couldn't have been more thrilling. The front bar. And it opens and immediately it's full. Which was the soft opening for that bar. We were one of the first guests and the place was jammed. It was just four deep at the bar, Uh, including John Michael Hill, who is our guest today. Uh, One of the rising stars in the acting world, Steppenwolf ensemble member and television star John Michael Hill, now appearing in Constellations at the Upstairs Theater here at Steppenwolf. Welcome (laughs) to Booth One, John. Hey, that was a very generous introduction. I'm a bit starstruck and I'm going to tell you why in a moment. I don't usually get starstruck, but Uh-oh. I'm going to give the people a little bit of your CV. John, you were born in uh, Waukegan, Illinois, which is just north of the city, about halfway between right. here and Wisconsin. After your high school years, you began focusing on pursuing an acting career, and you attended a summer drama program at Northwestern University. And uh, you graduated from the University of Illinois with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree, and while there, you appeared in stage productions of King Lear, Six Degrees of Separation, and I find this fascinatingly wonderful. Ain't Misbehavin'. My, one of my favorite gigs. It's not, only, not only a dramatic actor, but you're also a musical theater and star. Folks at home, he's, he's not reading this off anything. He's got this committed to memory. In 2009, <laughs> John was nominated for a Joseph Jefferson Award for actor in a supporting role in a play for The Tempest, again, right here at Steppenwolf Theater. And you became a Steppenwolf Ensemble member in 2007 at the tender age of 21. I believe that's the youngest aged member of the ensemble ever. Is that true? I actually turned 21 during that production, yeah. It's unbelievable. He currently stars in their production of, as I mentioned, Constellations by playwright Nick Payne, directed by John Barry. You were also in the Hot L Baltimore here at Steppenwolf. That's right. In 2010, John, you were nominated for a Tony Award. And you can't be on Booth One unless you either have a Jefferson Award or you were nominated for a Tony. And congratulations, you were as Best Featured Actor in a Play for... Superior Donuts, co-starring Michael McKean. Our producer saw that show here at Steppenwolf, and it's one of her favorite productions of all time. Well, that's great to hear. I think she fell in love with you at that point. (laughs) In that same year, he began his role as Detective Damon Washington in the ABC police drama Detroit 187. That was starring... Michael Imperioli. Of Sopranos fame. Sopranos, yeah. He played my partner. We had a good time together. I learned a lot from him. Well, you also played the role of Puck in the Shakespeare in the Park production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, and you played the same role of Puck in the Houston Grand Opera production. So this is unbelievable how versatile uh, an actor and performer you are. And you currently star, and this is why I'm a bit starstruck, you currently co-star as Detective Marcus Bell in the CBS series Elementary, my favorite show on TV. No way. Without question. And, and he's not being sycophantic either. <laughs> I, I've, You've been talking about I, elementary for years. I've watched them all multiple times. Johnny Lee Miller's in that show, Lucy Liu, and uh, another Chicago actor, Aiden Quinn. Aiden Quinn. 
He plays your your boss. He's my captain, and we talk about Chicago all the time. He happens to be a Packers fan. Interesting story. The shame of it. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> I'm out of here. We're done. Gary out. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about Constellations for uh, a few minutes here, Correct. since that's your starring role now. This is a complex play wrapped in a fairly simple package that the audience needs to sort of carefully open and dissect to really fully appreciate. We saw this production a week ago Second while it was preview. still in while it was still in previews. Oh man. And we had a great time. Roscoe, we enjoyed that play very much. We did. Do you want to describe, how would you describe the play, John? The play is... That's a good question. It follows a relationship from the beginning into the future, but the way it delves into it, um, it jumps all over time and space and perhaps different universes. So we get to see all the different variations on how people connect or don't make that connection. So we, we see the relationship take a bunch of different turns. It's a two-hander. You right. and uh, Jesse Fisher play a beekeeper, and she's a nuclear physicist yeah, or a theoretical, theoretical physicist. physicist. That's right, quantum mechanics. And what we glimpse throughout the, well, it's a pretty brisk 80 minutes of, of show is this relationship between these two people happening in different ways. I, I don't even I couldn't even count how many variations on meeting, courting, living together. I don't know off the top of my head. It's something like fifty. There's at least fifty variations, wouldn't yeah. you say, Roscoe? Yeah. And it 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 time shifts. I mean as you said it you know, what what was interesting this opening night I saw the show I didn't didn't know much about it. I knew that it was 70 minutes long in New York. Uh-huh. And I thought, okay, great, I'm going to go to a short show. And it started, the show starts, you play a scene, and then you rewind and you do the scene again, but the dialogue's a little different. Yeah. Character's a little different. Tempo's a little different. Uh, it kind of, the structure of the play mirrors the multi-universe theory, which you, you can research and it'll blow your mind, but the way they try to describe it is like a deck of cards. There's only so many possibilities. The matter can form itself in our infinite universe. So after a certain while, it'll start repeating. So if you shuffle the deck of cards enough, it'll start repeating the order. Moving from one universe to the next in this play is kind of a really brisk thing. That's kind of the challenge, that when you get to the point where it sort of resets and takes you to the new universe, you have to erase where you were emotionally physically where you got and start over and that's been the challenge that john barry has really been good at being specific about in this show john barry your director that's right when we were about 20 minutes into the show i thought how did they memorize the script can you talk about that we're, we're talking about a show that's it moves forward in time but but in each of these scenes rewind and play over again in different ways. And I thought, gee, how do you keep, you know, is this take number three? Is this take number four? How do I remember the sequence? Yeah, we'd be sitting in rehearsals saying, Nick Payne, that bastard. (laughs) He really... They don't call him Payne for nothing. (laughs) That's right. Did you have an extra long rehearsal period? or No, kind of a shorter one, um, because this, uh, this slot in our season is outside of the subscription. We have a short window on my hiatus from elementary. So I started learning it as soon as possible, and it, it's proving very difficult. You just have to be diligent. And the toughest thing is that when you're going over the same dialogue and then you get to the point where it switches, the detail is so minute. It seems like the one before, but it's not. And you, you've really got to keep it straight in your head. Yeah, for- Have you gotten through all of the performances? Have you ever, like... Panicked. Performances are fine. A rehearsal, there were some times where, yeah, I would skip a few universes. <laughs> <laughs> what, how do you, how, what makes that happen? Does the adrenaline just kick in and you just have to do it and have to get it right? Adrenaline so was part of it, but just uh, you have to get it in your bones. It has to be second nature, and it wasn't at that point. You were still, it takes running the whole thing together to really get the practice of jumping from one to the next. So it just took some time during rehearsal to get there. We should also say the reviews hit today. Oh, boy. Are you a person who reads reviews? 
I don't know. <laughs> you're you're like, like Cheetah Rivera. She doesn't read. She her doesn't reviews. read me either. Uh, I'll just say that they're pretty much yeah. through the roof yeah, across take, the board. Take off so. your headphones for a moment, and we're going to talk about the reviews. <laughs> so congratulations on that. You, you don't have to read them. Uh, take take our word for it. They're very exciting reviews. That's good news. Yeah. Watch, That's there'll so. be a closing notice posted on the board, <laughs> on the call board tonight. <laughs> First Steppenwolf show in 40 years to close early. They told me it got good reviews. <laughs> Damn it! Damn it! Stopped coming. As the, as long as they were nice to Jesse Fisher, I'm okay. She's she's the best. Is she? Oh, good. Do you they, have fun working together? We have a great time. I had never met her before we started working, and from the first read through, it was really felt like we were in sync. And she's just a great Chicago lady to know. She everybody knows her. Everybody loves her. She plays music. She's a great actress. Mm-hmm. She's incredibly funny. And she just did one son. She left Chicago to do one son Broadway, That's and then, right. then this is her return. Yeah. Cool. Well, you guys have a great chemistry together. Thank you. Uh, just so appealing as a couple. I was so sad later in the play when you start having problems. I yeah. thought, oh, no, no, no. This has all got to turn out happily ever after because yeah. I like these two people so, so very much. Just to give our listeners an idea of what we were talking about with learning lines. Many of the scenes begin with the same maybe dozen lines. Hello, my name's Gary. Hi, I'm Roscoe. We run a podcast. It's a very popular podcast. And then the next one could be, hi, my name's Gary. Hi, uh, I'm Roscoe. You're still Roscoe, yeah. Why are you stuttering? And and, and you just don't know quite where it's going. I have a question about character Uh in the play. Because motivations change as each of those little sections, let's just take the, the opening section where you're first meeting and getting introduced to each other. I, I think you're at some Nicknamed sort of... Nicknamed the barbecue. The barbecue. You're at a barbecue. Mm-hmm. Did you spend much time in the rehearsal process talking about if it's scene A, 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, that in each of those A, B, Cs, and Ds that are very similar but slightly different, right. the, the universe just shifts just ever so slightly. That's Did you right. talk about are you different characters? Does your character motivation change? I mean, are you playing 50 different characters at times, or are you always just the same guy? We're the same people but with different given circumstances, which we really tried to make as specific as possible. And John was really diligent about making sure we were on the same page about which universe we were in and what's leading up to that moment. So a lot of times you'll get a clue in the in that iteration of the scene as to what's different about this universe that they're living in. Sometimes it's one of them's in relationships. Sometimes it's one of them just got out of a relationship. And the ones that aren't that weren't as specific about that, we imposed a backstory on it. Well, you did very well. I I believed every character iteration that you guys played. Uh, Constellation is running at the Upstairs Theater here at Steppenwolf through July 3rd, possibly extending. Who knows? Depending on your filming schedule, you might have to get back to New York for elementary Uh, shoots. They can wait till I'm done with this play. It's all about wow. Sherlock Holmes anyway. He can figure yeah, he can right. figure it out. He could solve it without Marcus Bell. How, how much time do you have off? I mean, is I this your vacation that you're spending your vacation doing live theater? That's right. Um, we usually have May and June, and we go back to work in July. We're starting like a week later, I think. Johnny Lee Miller, who plays Sherlock, is actually... I think it's public knowledge. He's, he's filming a sequel to Trainspotting right now with Danny Boyle. So That's what I understand. I'm yeah. excited about that. Wow. And excited for him to get to, you know, flex a different muscle, different acting muscle. Let me get back to where you grew up, as we talked about a little town north of here called Waukegan. At one point, Waukegan was the third largest city in the state of Illinois. Not true. Really? Not true anymore. Birthplace of Jack Benny as well. Indeed. What was childhood like growing up there? Did your parents encourage your acting ambitions? They entertained it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) My parents, they both... uh, My mother wanted to go to college, and for this reason of that, she wasn't allowed to, actually, by her guardians. And my father... Uh, is a really good musician. I think that's what he wanted to do, but he kind of had a family to take care of. So I think they both recognized what it felt like to have kind of um, 
stunted dreams. So they they definitely wanted me to be able to do whatever I believed in. And, you know, throughout high school, I was always doing the plays. They were very supportive. They'd come see them. And then when I was at Cherubs at Northwestern, one of the professors told me that if I wanted to make a career in the theater, that like you could do that. You've got the tools, you've got, you know. And that was the first time I really heard that it was possible to kind of make a living acting in theater. So I, after that, I kind of started researching schools. I went to University of Illinois, and the rest is history. Yeah, I understand you were you were also quite an athlete and a promising musician. Although currently a musician, we'll get to that in a little while. <laughs> did you play uh, football for uh, walking in high school? Yeah, I mean, I started in seventh grade. It took me that long to convince my mom to let me to play. Seventh grade, I started, and uh, let me guess, running back. I was running back. Yes. <laughs> But it was walking yes. in high school, you know, we, we had a smaller team, and we all kind of had to go both ways. So I played outside linebacker, too, which I enjoyed just as much as running the ball. I spent some time up in Waukegan. I ran the Genesee Theater for about six years. What? Yeah, after they remodeled it and reopened it, yeah. uh, I, I joined the staff there, and I was the general manager. Uh, did you ever go to the beautifully restored? I haven't seen it. Palace. Um, you I, had some big acts come. Well, yeah. Well, there. when you were when you were growing up in Waukegan, the place was pretty much closed. Yeah. It was shuttered because they'd run out of money, mm-hmm. and uh, it was slated for the wrecking ball. And uh, they decided to raise some dough, mm-hmm. and they reopened it in two thousand and four. But you were probably off to college by then, I right? I wasn't. I heard like I don't know. Seinfeld came through there. Olivia Newton-John. Marie Osmond. We saw Marie Osmond's Christmas show, and I've I've never really gotten over it. She was she was great. That's fantastic. She was great, and she came downstairs and talked to people afterwards in the green at, room. In the green room, like her her the buster had to say, "Marie, get on the bus and stop talking to people." And didn't she have perfect teeth? She had the most beautiful teeth I've ever seen. Just gorgeous. You mentioned uh, Jack Benny uh, was mm-hmm. from Waukegan. There's right. a statue of him uh, opposite the theater there on Genesee Street. Do you, do you know other famous Waukeganites? Ray Bradbury, I believe. Jerry Orbach. Wow. Of Law & Order fame and the original El Gallo in my favorite musical, mm-hmm. The Fantastics. Uh, as you said, Ray Bradbury. Otto Graham, award-winning quarterback for the Cleveland Browns. And wow. this is an interesting one. Mickey Kuhn. Roscoe, do you know who Mickey Kuhn was? A gangster. <laughs> no, he, he was, was married to Mate Jane Mansfield. He was a film actor uh, of oh. the, in the 1930s through the 1950s. He was in films such as Gone with the Wind, wow. where he played Ashley and Melanie's son Beau. Oh, he was in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, Dick Tracy, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers, Red River, Broken Arrow, and he was in A Streetcar Named Desire in 1951. Here's a very interesting fact, and you don't even know this. One. We're both slack jawed. In A Streetcar Named Desire, he played a sailor at the beginning of the movie who directs Blanche to the correct streetcar, which will take her to her sister's neighborhood. He's the only actor to share screen time with Vivian Lee in each of her Oscar-winning performances. In Gone with the Wind and in Streetcar Named Desire. How about that for a piece that, of trivia can we get him on that the I show? pulled out of my butt? <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's really impressive. Should we get back to our guest? We should, John. Who influenced <laughs> this you? Fascinating. Who influenced you into acting in the first place? You know, were you like the star of Waikiki High? Or I wouldn't say star. No, I, I played my part. Well regarded. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, let's go with that. I uh, I wrote a short story when I was in first grade about my brother getting lost at the zoo, the Lincoln Park Zoo, which is a true story. And the elementary school turned it into a play, and I got to see it and saw the actor on stage. It should have made me want to become a writer, but <laughs> I saw the actor and said, I want to do that. And I was auditioning for plays since then. I always have offbeat questions in response to things my guests say. Did they ever find your brother? Yes. <laughs> At the zoo? Okay. Fortunately. <laughs> he didn't wander into the lion pit or anything. No. I'm told that you play in a band as well. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. What's the name of the band? The Wolves. Is it John Michael Hill and the Wolves? Well, I just like the Wolves. They told me to put that in front of it, so in case I wanted to now, are my you, solo Now, are you the lead singer? Do you, what that's do you right. play? Well, that's the thing. Okay, so I play guitar. I started playing guitar in college. 
I started with GarageBand, where you get on there, you could build a beat from scratch, compose all the instruments. You just need a keyboard, and you could play all the instruments with a keyboard. And I just started going from one software to the next. So I did Logic after that, and now I'm on this thing called Machine. And that it's really getting the sound that I really love. So what I do is I do the songs, I write everything, and then I... Uh, forward them to the band and I meet with them and we just kind of sit down and jam and figure out all the different parts. So they're coming into town. The wolves are coming to town. The wolves are coming to town. Where, where, where can we see you and the wolves? We're going to be at the Cabaret Space, the 1700, on June 13th. You're going to be right here at the 1700 Theater. On In this June, very room where we sit. On June 13th and 14th, did you say? June 13th and 14th, that's right. And uh the Tuesday performance, June 14th, you can see Constellations first, and then we'll go right over to 17. Oh, is that Jessie Fisher, your co-host? Is that her group? That's Well, she's got, we're going to do Constellations, and then she's going to play with her husband, actor Eric Hellman, and they're going to play a few songs before the Wolves get up there. Wow, that's a full day. I, I feel strangely inadequate. I, I know. We, <laughs> How about we, you? we do an hour podcast every two weeks and then, you know, crawl out of the studio. <laughs> and I have to sleep for 10 days yes. before I edit it. <laughs> I don't even play an Get instrument. Get me a cocktail and a hot meal. I played the harmonica once. <laughs> All right, I got to get back to elementary. Yeah. Our listeners may have seen it. If they haven't, get on CBS.com and watch some past episodes. Here's a question for you. Do you mm-hmm. think that Detective Bell and Joan Watson will ever get together? No. Get out of here. Come on. I'm rooting for that so much. <laughs> no, I don't. How, how, how do you know? How do you know? Maybe maybe the writers have this in the back of their heads on, on, Look, on the show. I think Marcus admires Joan. I think he, he's really impressed with how far she's come as an investigator. And yes, she's easy on the eyes. She's very pleasant to be around. But I think they're both such level-headed people. And her companion is so sensitive. (laughs) (laughs) It would be a huge betrayal to him. Yes, I I, I bet it would be. But I'd like to see it on the show. Your character on Elementary has had quite an interesting arc. Did you anticipate being so deeply involved in the lead character's storylines when you when you first started doing the show? Because essentially, it's a it's a procedural, a mm-hmm. cop procedural with a very very interesting and dynamic twist. Because it's about Sherlock Holmes helping the New York City Police Department That's solve right. crime. Yeah, you became much much more involved in their their story arcs. I didn't anticipate, I hoped that um, they would get me as involved as possible. And I think they've done a good job balancing because people really want to see Holmes and Watson. But I think working Marcus and working the captain into their personal lives, into the story has has given us a real kind of ensemble feel to the show, which I think people dig as well. Well, we're starting season five in July, and uh, I mean, they want to do six, they want to do seven, but you just kind of knock on wood and hope that people keep watching and that they want to keep it going. Well, you and, and, and Johnny Lee Miller especially are, are very busy people. You are here doing a play in the summer right. on your vacation. You've got a band to take care of. <laughs> um, uh, Johnny Lee Miller's off doing films. That's right. And, uh, and running marathons in the meantime. And I understand that you're also writing or co-writing a television pilot. I did. I did. I wrote a pilot um, with some buddies of mine. And that that takes up some time, too. But, you know, if you watch elementary, I'm not in every scene. So if I don't have to be there, I had to fill my time with something. And I've been teaching myself to write over the past few years, which has been a huge gift and something that I'm really interested in developing. I wrote to Les Moonves at at CBS and I said, yeah, I did. I said, you've got to have Detective Marcus Bell in more scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Do you enjoy the nature of making a television series? You've done Detroit 187 mm-hmm. and now Elementary. Do you enjoy the whole process involved in that? I do. I've been shadowing the directors on Elementary in hopes that they'll let me get a crack at it in season six. And I actually love It's very tedious. It's very grueling. We do 24 episodes a season. And I'm sitting in the prep room. The incoming director has a week of prep before he starts shooting. And 
I'm sitting at the table with these guys and we're picking through the script line by line and looking at all the art, everything that they're going to have to build and get ready in a week. And it's mind boggling. There's so many moving parts. It's fascinating that it all comes together. But I, I find all of those little details very interesting and I hope I get a crack at taking the helm. So you, you've got a yen for getting right behind the camera there. I do. I, I, I put my hat in the ring. Too. Did notice that Lucy, did. Lucy Liu directed an episode she's, this past she's season. Really good at it. I, I enjoyed that episode yeah. immensely, and it wasn't too focused on her face all the time, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I which I found to be uh, very humble of her. Yeah. You know, these are high class problems to have. Oh no, I have to leave my play to go back to that television series. <laughs> but do you, do you I mean? Do you wish you had more time to do live theater? I do actually, and. Uh, you know, the, Anna's done a really good job at doing what she can to get people that are busy with other stuff back in the building here. And it's really, I mean, I was sitting down in front bar after a show. Jan Barford came in from Mary Page Marlowe. Lori got out of voice lessons. And we were all sitting there like, isn't this really amazing to have everybody around? James Meredith is across the street rehearsing for... Uh, between Riverside and Crazy, there's really kind of an effort being made to get everybody back. And it, there's an energy here that is really exhilarating. Do you have other theater projects planned? Well, I'm going to do, theater? in the same slot next year, there's a play by Antoinette Nwandu called Passover that we're doing readings of and workshopping, getting ready that um, I'm slated to do. So I'm excited to get back here for that. Can we go back to Constellations for a second? Sure. It's a hard script to do yeah is there a part of the show that you that you might find especially challenging is there a sequence where you you know once that that scene is done you're like <laughs> I, I i nailed it sorry <laughs> i i nailed that scene the rest of this is a piece of cake <laughs> no it actually i think it escalates so as the play goes on the scenes in a way get more and more difficult, I think. But there are sequences of movement and emotion that are more difficult than some others. And uh, I think a lot of them are, you, as an actor, you're going to feel like you're pushing and emoting in a lot of these because some of the st scenes start and you have to be at a fever pitch just where it is in the mm -hmm. story. And that's always going to be a challenge and you want to try to get that as truthful as possible and you're going to continue to work on that through mm -hmm. the closing night and getting better at it. Mm -hmm. Is there a, a particular character that you really loved playing? The, They're just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do that show again. This is right up there. This is right up there. Um, Superior Donuts is going to be one of my favorites because I feel like the, Tracy's words are just the best to kind of work on and, and to live with, really. And that cast, <laughs> it was like a family. We really loved each other. And it was difficult getting everybody to move to Broadway because of contracts and this and that. But everybody just kind of said, no, we have to do this. We got to stick together. Who else was in the cast? Michael McCann? Michael McCann, James Vincent Meredith, Jane Alderman, Kate Buttigieg, Yasin Bayankov. And you're speaking of... Tracy Letts, the playwright, mm, Tracy Letts, uh, yeah. also Pulitzer Prize winning playwright for uh, August Osage County, who wrote Superior Donuts. Um, you've done a handful of films since about 2007 when you, you know, shortly out of school. Are you looking more intently toward doing more film work? Yeah, the, I try to tell people the ideal life, I think, a career for me would be to be on a series that was shorter than elementary, perhaps. Um, something Dear that did. Mr. Mendes. <laughs> 10 to 13 episodes, so you're working like four or five months out of the year, and then you get to do a play, and then you get to do a film for a couple months. Do that every that, year. That would be great. That would be a great, great life. <laughs> I understand you have some, maybe in the back of your head, ambitions to play Hamlet one day. Yeah, I probably shouldn't put that onto the universe because uh, <laughs> I might actually have to do it one day. I think that was Aidan Quinn's first um, claim it, to fame in Chicago. Was it highly acclaimed? Yeah, and he has, you know his his eyes are like this big, <laughs> you know when he when he was in his early twenties and That's right. and these big blue eyes. Wow! So Hamlet, um, it's really a 
selfish desire, actually. Um, Which is odd for an actor. Mm-hmm. Selfish <laughs> desires. Yes. <laughs> Have, have you met an actor? We, you know, if we don't have our own selfish desire, it's, it's like Mark Hauser said last week, if you don't shout your name out to the universe, no one's going to hear it. I, I don't think that this is, is a selfish thing on your part. I think it's just ambition and something you'd like to do. It is. I'm becoming, it's contrary to my personality, but I'm becoming more and more ambitious as I'm moving along through this career. U- University of Illinois is a classical training program. We worked on a lot of Shakespeare. And I really feel at home with that language, and I'd really like to do something like an exciting production of Hamlet, something fresh, something contemporary. I think you'd be a fantastic Hamlet. Yeah, you have my vote. Have you seen Sweet. a particular Shakespeare production that you really loved or that made you just, like do cartwheels? Hmm. I did see the Romeo and Juliet in the park when I was doing Midsummer with uh, Oscar Isaac was in that. I believe Lauren Ambrose, and they were incredible. That was a really inspiring production. Yeah. How was your How was your experience doing Midsummer? It was great. Unfortunately, Dan Sullivan, the director, fell through the trap door our first day of tech. Oops. And really hurt himself, and uh, but fortunately he's okay, and he uh, came back and cleaned some stuff up in our last few previews. But other than that. That was a really special experience for me. There was nothing like being outdoors, saying those words to the actual stars. And I think Obron references the moon during that play. And one night it was really sitting large over the pond. And it was just, it was a really incredible experience. And Martha Plimpton was in that production. Wow. Are there a lot of bugs at night (laughs) on stage in the park? It was the middle of the summer. I had about five layers of Victorian clothing on for some reason <laughs> as this magical sprite. I was doing magic tricks, and yeah, I was fighting the heat. We were fighting bugs and raccoons, whatever else. Bats, <laughs> all kinds of things. And you're performing for an audience that's been standing in line for five days waiting right. to get in. That's right. They're sweaty and irritable. <laughs> I wanted to tell you about something, um, John, that I'm not sure you knew about. And Roscoe, I'm not sure you were uh, apprised of this either. But it's, it's, I think it's fascinating. Um, Chicago is going to have a new film archive of live theater. It's being created through a, an agreement with Actors' Equity and the Chicago Public Library. And they're going to allow anybody with a valid photo ID to watch recorded shows like the recent hits here in Chicago's Sender and Bahalia, Mississippi. I don't know if they're going to come in and film Constellations. This mirrors a program mm-hmm. at the New York Public Library's Theater on Film and Tape Archive, which has uh, documented production since 1970. Roscoe, have you ever gone over to the library and uh, watched stuff? Yes, you, you have to go there. and you, you, you can't just walk in and say, here's my driver's license. I have to say, I'm noted theater scholar Roscoe. <laughs> and uh, I would like to see the 1971 production of Follies. <laughs> and, and then they just let you in to see it. You have to, you have to have a credible reason for seeing it. Do you recall things you've seen there? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, some of them, you know, think about what videotape looked like 40 years ago. They're not what they would look like today. And I think maybe their security is a little higher because this is the one VHS tape we have in the history of the planet oh of God. follies, whereas this is all going to be digital and DVD, and you don't have to worry about someone skipping town with this proprietary copy. John, do you think this is a good idea, filming live theater for later generations, or not even generations, but people who didn't get a chance to see it to actually go and study a piece? Whether it's a good idea or not, um, I think keeping up with the times is a good idea, and it's that's, this is the way the world is moving. And I actually saw a production of Frankenstein that Johnny Lee did at the National I heard about that. Um, they filmed that, and they broadcast it all over the world. I was sitting in New York. I got to go to the IFC Film Center and watch it. Johnny asked me to see him play the monster. Him and Benedict Cumberbatch switched off between Frankenstein's monster and Dr. Frankenstein, and I watched him play the monster, and it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. So I think if it's done right, there's a value in it. And also, yes, let's record this history. Why not? Why not? Things run very shortly here in Chicago, you know, six, eight weeks, and it's gone. And we tried to get into Bahalia, Mississippi, and um, it was sold out. So I'd I'd love to see it. Some of the other things coming to the theater, by the way, 
you mentioned voice lessons with uh, Lori Metcalf, which is going on right now, and there's a collaboration with Second City that's going to happen. John Michael Hill and the Wolves. That's you know, right. All that. Mm. I, I understand tickets for that are only twelve dollars. That's right, dude. You got to charge more. No, no, no. Oh, no, come no. on. No, no, no. <laughs> Do you know what Lori Metcalf's charging for her show? <laughs> Uh, there's a Soul Shaken Music of Curio and uh, Mikey Classic, a live podcast festival, which we've mentioned on the show before, curated by NPR Live Events, uh, Tyler Green. We unfortunately, Roscoe, I hate to break this to you, we did not make the roster for the podcast festival. They only had a certain number of slots, and we just they just didn't have room you're, for You're it. telling me this now in front of thousands of listeners? Here's a box of Kleenex. <laughs> oh, my God. Singer-songwriter Dylan Rice is going to be doing a show here and a one-woman show from Fazia Mizra. And lots more. Go to the website, uh, www.steppenwolf.org, to find out what you can see at the brand-new 1700 Theater. John, I want to ask you about Chicago. You're a Chicago guy. I assume you live in New York now or Los Angeles? Yeah. Name me two or three of the best things about being an artist in Chicago. I think the volume of art that you can see. I love the Art Institute and Museum of Modern Art. and uh, But the live music, I think, is one of the greatest things about this city. The amount of theater, and it's not just, you know, the big houses, the storefronts are still alive and well. And I was just at the Red Organ. I saw Cinder. That was great. Um, there's always something going on. Uh, I think this town really takes its culture seriously, and it's not just an erudite thing. It's everybody gets involved in it. And it's a supportive community as well, isn't right. it? Everybody seems to support everybody else. I, there's, I, I, I yeah. get that there's competition for selling tickets, but it never really seems to reach the point of aggressiveness and bad feelings. That's Everybody's right. sort of sharing in the, the pool of theater goers that are out there. Roscoe, have, have you experienced yeah, that kind of yeah, and I was, was going to say that, that we just saw the flick mm-hmm. at at the upstairs theater, and something that struck me about the flick is that that is a difficult show. It's long, it's slow, challenging, challenging and the audience was up for that challenge. Yeah. You know, when I showed up tired on a Friday night to see Constellations, <laughs> and the first scene starts repeating, there's oh God, I'm, I have to sit up, I have to sit up straight and yeah. open my eyes because I I have to lean into this show and I have to and I have to pay attention. And they had a gigantic house on a hot night at the end of May, That's right. and uh, they were right there with you. Can you talk about feeling what the audience gives back to you and how the audience helps you get through the show? I'm probably more aware than I should be of what the audience is doing and the energy that they're giving off is something I can't help. I've always been that way. But uh, it's the reason you want to do live theater is, I mean, I love the rehearsal process and that cocoon, but then you've got to get out there and get in front of people and get that immediate feedback. And there's nothing like taking everyone on a journey and seeing if you can hold hold everybody in that room for the full duration of the show it's that's that's the ultimate challenge and the thing that you want to do i don't know there's nothing you can't really do that on television there's not that same thing i think the final product that you put up there is beautiful to look at and that's a different challenge that i love undertaking and same with film but theater it's that's the special thing about it wouldn't it be great if the television crew clapped yes. after you did a wonderful scene or you solved the case? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, bra- bravo. The hairdresser bravo. comes out. Fantastic. The, the best you can hope for is when you hear cut that people start laughing behind, you know, at Video Village. The crew, maybe you made uh, the cameraman laugh on that last take. <laughs> that would would be a goal of mine, making the cameraman yes. fantastic. <laughs> See the screen shaking. John, we've asked this of many of our guests before, and I'm always fascinated by the answer. I believe our listeners are as well. Listen, if you could have one thing delivered to your doorstep every morning, anywhere you were living, anywhere you were, what would that be? Now I feel the pressure to be fascinating. <laughs> is that is that your answer? I'd like to have fascination at my doorstep. (laughs) The first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, exactly. It's probably so silly, but a movie, a different classic movie every day. I'm just, I'm a bit obsessed with it. As is Tracy Letts, he's got the best DVD collect, personal DVD collection I've ever seen. I would like to have something like that. 
the movies are my favorite place to go. I like to, that's my solitude place. That's where I like to go by myself, watch a movie, and if I can have a different classic brought to my doorstep every day, I'd, I'd be pretty happy. Do you, have, do you have any particular ones that you want to mention? That I've seen or that I want to see? That, well, both. Either. This is your show. <laughs> <laughs> Wings of Desire? Wings of Desire, Vim Benders. I've never seen. German film. Peter Falk is in it. I want to see that. Movie. Yeah, black and white. That's right. Yeah. Angel Comes to Earth, right? It's a beautiful movie. They made a remake of that uh-huh. with Nicolas Cage. Called Angels! Exclamation <laughs> mark. <laughs> I remember that. Army of Shadows was one of those that I saw. That was one that I think maybe Tracy let me borrow. Things like that. 400 Blows. Just watched true. the 400 Blows the other night. You did? Terrific. Truffaut. Awesome. His first film. Yeah. Hard to, hard to get through, but it's a <laughs> damn fine, beautiful, beautiful movie. Do you have a favorite piece of art or music, John? Hmm. There's a Brahms piece that I can't find. I heard it in a cab here in Chicago. This, the what? The cab driver had a cassette of this beautiful Brahms concerto, and I can't find it. <laughs> oh. it, it sounded dark. It was like in a minor key. and uh, Did really you ask him what, what he was playing, and he said Brahms? Yeah, but so I didn't you know get the name part. of the piece. So my my brother's got some uh, Brahms records from my grandmother uh, at his house in Gray's Lake, and we were listening through, seeing if I could find it, if it was on there. But the search continues. So wow. classical music, classical films. What sort of musical style does the Wolves play? What do you write? Okay, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One to, of the <laughs> uh, to, to be continued on part two. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with my style, I, I, it's going to be hard to build an audience because they have to have as eclectic taste as I do. So I grew up listening to my dad in rock bands. He played rock music. In the house, he always had Megadeth playing Iron Maiden, Metallica, <laughs> Queensryche as well as some Bob Marley. And my mom had on Barbara Streisand and theater tune. Like, I, I knew Phantom of the Opera by heart. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that music. <laughs> Gary worked on that show for years. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> National tour, yeah. Fantastic. Well, what, what else? Uh, what else influences and my, your music My then? brother was also sneaking in rap music, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Eminem, Jay-Z. Um, so I grew up listening to those, too. So now what I've come up with, my first songs were kind of rock and bluesy. And then when I started doing things on the computer, it would combine, because I played saxophone in high school as well, and getting to the full orchestra together and playing, that was one of the most exhilarating experiences, and I missed that. So a lot of my rap songs have a lot of strings and kind of complicated progressions in it. Um, I like merging those things together. So you're going to hear some of that. But we use rock instruments, so we've call, we call it rock hop. Do you do any synthesized uh, music so that you can implement those string sounds or yeah, orchestra sounds? Yeah, a keyboard sounds? player is this classically trained dude. He went to the, uh, Windsor. Um, college music. All the great so. ones are. <laughs> he's, he, I think he's a virtuoso, man. He can play anything. And uh, so he's a big part of our band, and he can uh, transpose things immediately, and he helps everybody chart out what they have to do. Our guitar player is insanely good, uh, Steve Caldwell. He plays the electric guitar. And our bass player, Emily Rogers, she comes up with some really out-of-the-box stuff. And our drummer, Rick Beeman, is true metronome we kind of let him go sometimes and do his own thing because he's so good we got to showcase him too i don't know i think it'll be an exhilarating night because i'm going to start off playing the guitar about four songs and then we're going to move into a more weird uh, <laughs> r&b sound for a couple of songs one of them was inspired by that frankenstein production that i saw that danny boyle directed at the national oh cool before I saw that, I read Mary Shelley's book, and then I wrote this song from the perspective of the monster, uh, 
and I decided I wanted to have my brother rap on it because he's he's a very talented MC. So I said. <laughs> I just texted him. I said, here's the music. Can you give me 16 bars from the perspective of the monster, what he would say to the bride if the, the doctor actually gives him one? And he came up with something very touching and unbelievable. So I'm, uh, I'm going to get him in to perform that with us, too. Are tickets still available? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Steppenwolf.org. I'm stopping at the box office. Well, on the we way better out. on the way out. I, without question, because there's oh. only two performances. June thirteenth oh. and fourteenth. That's right. What are you reading now? Are you a, are you a reader? Do you yeah. uh, do you keep up on things? Are you fiction, nonfiction? I was doing nonfiction for a while, especially in my Detroit days, uh, reading the David Simon's um, homicide book and a different homicide book, and that's when I read Malcolm X's autobiography. But I got really burnt out. I'm a Cormac McCarthy guy. I had to switch to fiction for a long mm-hmm. time. I've been working my way through all of his Blood Meridians, probably my favorite novel. And it usually has to do with what I'm working on. So we're doing I was reading these beekeeper books. <laughs> oh, sure, for your character in Constellations. <laughs> yeah, I took a trip to London as soon as I was done shooting Elementary. Well, he's a beekeeper. Yeah. Holmes is a beekeeper Holmes in is. Elementary. He keeps a hive on the roof. A hive on the roof. Um, it's all connected. So mm-hmm. I went to London. I went to the country and met with this beekeeper in wheelchair. And I don't know if I should admit that. Well, I asked permission. I was staying at this hotel, and they had a beekeeper book. So I talked to the management, see if I could take it with me. <laughs> so I took that. But Jesse Fisher, uh, who's in Constellations with me, gave me for an opening night present. We talked about Kurt Vonnegut. So she gave me Sirens of Titan. And that's going to be my next. That's next on my queue. Did you read this in um, France? Mm-hmm. In Paris, there was a recent study... Keeping bees has become very popular in Paris now, and the the Parisian bees produce more honey than than bees in the country. Why am I, I not surprised? Notice. Well, and they think it's because uh, there's a greater variety of plants and different kinds of pollen, and they, so they're producing more honey. But the honey has some residue from the air pollution, no so way. that's that's the downside of the honey. But Part- I thought it was interesting. I mean, do we have beehives here in on rooftops in Chicago? We do. There's a lot of urban. Keepers now, yeah. Doesn't yeah. surprise me with no. the organic gardens in various neighborhoods. Beekeeping and and honey making seem to be mm-hmm. the next kind of mm-hmm. logical step. Right. John Michael Hill, thank you so very much for being our guest today on Booth One. You were fascinating, and uh, we appreciate your candor and your honesty and and your uh, willingness to open up. Listen, thanks for having me, you guys. I really appreciate yeah. it. Any last words of wisdom, Roscoe, before we let uh, Mr. Hill go and get prepared for his show tonight? Something I read about constellations. Sure. The past is always present in the future. How's that? How's that for a closing remark? My head is spinning. I don't even know what to make of that remark. John, thanks again. Thank you, guys. You're fantastic. Thanks. Well, we're going to conclude our podcast, as usual, with our brief kiss of death segment. Today, Roscoe, entitled An Amazing Way to Go, perhaps you heard about this, Jane Little, the world's longest-serving orchestra musician, Mm -hmm. who debuted as a bassist in Atlanta on uh, February 4th, 1945. That's a long while ago. She was 16 years old, and she never stopped playing. She died recently during a performance of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. She was said to be the longest tenured orchestra musician in the world. She was 87 years old. Uh, The symphony was performing a Pops concert called Broadway's Golden Age. The Golden Age is, you know, what, the 30s, 40s, maybe into the 50s, 50s, sure. According to its schedule, the players were about 30 seconds from the last measures of a song called There's No Business Like Show Business from Irving Berlin's Annie Get Your Gun. The encore to the concert, when Miss Little collapsed and was carried backstage by her fellow bassists, She, unfortunately, never regained consciousness. Little had not been feeling well. She had been undergoing chemotherapy for multiple myeloma, uh, had missed the orchestra's April concert at Carnegie Hall in New York, and told the orchestra manager during intermission on Saturday night that she felt a little weak and a little woozy. Little was not a physically imposing figure. She weighed 98 pounds, and yet she 
played the double bass. Wow. <laughs> it's the prospect of setting the record to become the longest tenured orchestra musician in the world seemed to have helped her keep going. I was competing with this woman out in Utah who played 70 years, 69 of them with the Utah Symphony, she said. When I heard she was retiring, I said... I'm going for it. (laughs) I always loved music from the time I was a kid, she told the Atlanta magazine. My aunt had a dancing school in Atlanta, and my mother was the piano accompanist. She played by ear. She could just sit down and play everything. I started dancing, and I wanted to be a ballerina. But to be a ballerina, you have to have these nice feet. And mine just weren't right, she said. So my dreams were shattered, but I still loved music. Later at Girls High School in Grant Park, I wanted to join the Glee Club. And I found out that freshmen had to take a musical aptitude test. So I took the test with all the other freshmen. And about a week later, I was called up to the orchestra room. I had scored really well. The orchestra leader asked me what instrument I played. And I told her I didn't really play an instrument. Well, she was shocked. She told me, you must, you must play an instrument. You've obviously got the ear for it and the rhythm for it. She asked what I'd like to play, and I named a few small instruments like the clarinet and the violin. She said, well, actually, we need bass players. I was five foot three, and I weighed all of 98 pounds at the time, but she asked me to try it. She gave me lessons, and within a month, I was hooked. I just loved it. While playing with the Atlanta Symphony, she met the man who would become her husband, Warren Little, who, ironically, played the flute. (laughs) (laughs) Little played under all four of the orchestra's musical directors, as well as guest conductors, including Igor Stravinsky, Aaron Copland, Pierre Boulet, Leopold Stokowski, John Barbaroli, and James Levine. There was great sadness among orchestra members on that night, and there was also a sense that there was a poetic beauty to the timing of Little's death, playing her bass during a performance of a classic from the great American songbook. Hollywood could not have scripted it better. And and it was 30 bars before the end of the song? About 30 seconds from the end. 30 seconds. Let's go on with the... I don't know, what would you like to be doing when you get called to that great maker in the sky? Oh, I'll probably be sitting in an audience somewhere. Watching theater? Watching theater, watching Liza Minnelli's 87th comeback. You know, I forgot to ask John Michael Hill if he had seen uh, Hamilton. Because it's the kind of show that he would just love with yeah, the Yeah, then I was worried that he would say rap. I didn't see it, and we'd go, well, we saw it. Can I get you a ticket? <laughs> yeah, can I get you a ticket? We, I, have, I we know the, someone who knows someone. I want to be on the set of Elementary one day. I want to replace Laurie Metcalf in her show that she's doing. It's about a deluded community theater actress who thinks she has the has the makings of being a singer. And so it's it's... Her interaction with her vocal coach, who's trying to teach her to sing. Really? I think I would be brilliant. <laughs> I think you would be brilliant. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening once again. Be sure to follow us or like us on Facebook and go to our website and sign up for our mailing list. And there's a special surprise if you sign up. We have a bonus content page that uh, you might be able to take advantage of if you sign up now. Thanks, Roscoe. And we will see everyone again on the podcast airways. Mm-hmm.